0: not often that we get to uh, have a Christmas Day service, we don't. That's not been traditional for us because we do the Christmas Eve and we let you kind of be with your families on Christmas Day, but when it falls on a Sunday, it seems like the best thing to do and get to look at uh, one more aspect of our our supernatural Christmas. Uh, we've looked at a lot of uh, the supernatural things going on. We're looking at supernatural, not natural, something beyond Nature is something that science can't explain, something that doesn't uh, happen normally and has something outside uh, making the difference. Uh, so when we look at the uh, things we've looked at, we looked at supernatural revelation, all these things, and we, we sing about that, and uh, Isaiah, and Hosea, and Micah, and all these different scriptures that talk about the coming of the Messiah and how, how would they know that this was going to happen so specifically without that being supernatural. We looked at the dreams that happened, the different dreams that uh, Joseph and the Magi had and how those supernatural direction. We looked at the star and tried to kind of figure out that it was quite supernatural, it seems to me. And the natural explanations don't seem to to work. And then last week, we looked at the the celestial beings, or angels, um, and how they're very, very active at this time of year. Uh, that time of year when when Jesus was born. Um, Today we're going to look at the fact that it kind of comes off that last song we just sung, uh, God becoming human. That in itself is kind of an interesting thing to think about. John 1 verse 14, and if you remember, most of the text we use, especially for our production, come from two Gospels, Matthew and Luke. And the reason we don't use John and Mark much is because they don't talk about the Nativity. Uh, But John goes back even farther. Uh, If you remember John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And he gets on into verse 14 saying the Word became flesh, became human. The the word flesh, in some of your translations, just means human, uh, physical. uh, And made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory. Remember, it's his first-person eyewitness testimony—the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Um, so, what are we saying here at Christmas time? We're saying that uh, God the Son, uh, the second person of the Trinity, and we'll we'll talk about that just a little bit, uh, became—and and that's the Greek word. It's always I don't do this often, but it's not a hard word. It's the word sarx. Uh It's a uh, uh, a physical body. Uh, it's stuff, <laughs> you know, stuff that you can touch. And that just seems odd when you look at, if you get, look at like Islam, certainly Judaism today, they just don't, they don't get this. It's hard. It is a little hard that God would become human. Because uh, remember, by nature, God is spirit. We get this in the dialogue between the Samaritan woman and Jesus. Um, Jesus says, God is spirit, and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God's nature is spirit, and we hit that pretty hard, I think, when we talked about angels. We've hit that a lot. If you were here for some of the Heaven series, there's spiritual, a lot of times in the Bible means non-physical. Sometimes it just means the things of God. Sometimes it means both. But so God takes on a body. This is kind of an amazing thing. Um... Because and we call this the incarnation, you know. And I we're not talking about the the, the breakfast drink there when we talk about carnation. Um, it why incarnation? Well, you probably actually I had some some of this last night. You know what chili con carne is? Chili with meat. The word carne, carna, in Latin or carnal means means flesh or meat. Uh, so that's what we're you know God became meat. <laughs> I guess we could put it that way. Uh, And if you've been a Christian a long time, you might think, well, yeah, but if you really kind of ponder that, how does that God takes on a body? Up until, you know, 0 AD, God the Son was just as spirit as God the Spirit and God the Father, but something changes. Now, we're not saying God the Father took on flesh, and we're not saying God the Spirit took on flesh, we're taking, we're saying God the Son took on flesh, one of the persons of the Trinity. And this is supernatural, um, obviously, to happen. And I like the way that that song ends, you know, the, uh, that, and, that, and that hits that so well because when you look at the term, if you go back to Moses' time. Remember, Moses goes up on a, after getting out of Egypt and marrying and being in Jethro's clan, he goes up on the mountain and he sees this burning bush and he has a dialogue with Yahweh. Uh, He didn't, but he wants to know, he grew up in Egypt, and there's lots of gods in Egypt. There's a God for everything. I mean, I think there was a God for vacuum cleaners. I mean, he's God for everything. But he wants to know, who's sending me? And that's when we first get that term, I am who I am. Or you could translate, I have always been who I have always been. Or you can translate it, I will be who I will be. It's really the, the Hebrew word for existence. And, uh, Yahweh, Yod, Hey Vav, He. We get that. So when Jesus comes on the scene and says, especially in the Gospel of John, but in other places, I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Before Abraham was, I am, and that's what that song hits, you know, that the sleeping child you're holding is the great I Am, which is essentially saying Yahweh. And if you read John 8, which is a... If you, oh, you, always, you guys always want an assignment. There you go, it your, you know, when you're around, the, around your Christmas dinner. Um, John 8 is a dialogue in the temple between some of Jesus' uh, critics, and they're asking him questions toward the end of that dialogue. Um, and, and he says, you know, Abraham saw my day and was glad. You know, so he's making a claim there that Abraham, 2,000 years before that, knew him. Um, and they said, well, you're not even, you know, you're barely 30 years old. You, you know, or Ab- Abraham died. Who do you think you are? <sighs> before Abraham was, I am. You know, and they, you know what they want to do? They don't go, well, I wonder what that means. No, they pick up stones to stone. Why? Because that's blasphemy. He says he's Yahweh. Well, we see this, it's, it's kind of a mystery. It's, and we, we, in the New Testament, we use the mystery usually for, you know, detective films and stuff, the word mystery, you know, or I always remember Scooby-Doo, you know, in the mystery machine, you know, that type of stuff. But, but the, uh, the mystery in the New Testament signifies a secret which was being or has been revealed in some way which is also divine in scope and needs to be made known by God. We're not going to know this without him telling us. And one of the mysteries, and if you want to follow, we're, we're going to hit Luke 2 in a little bit, but this is Ephesians 3. It's one of the mysteries, and this shows how mystery works in the New Testament. We're not, we're not just given. I know we can do that sometimes, and people will say, it's the quintessential uh, quiz, you know, biblical quiz question when you don't know the answer. Or you just say, well, it's a mystery. You know, and, and that's okay to some of because it is. But that can be a cop-out sometime. What, what, what type of revelation are we given? So here's one of the mysteries. It talks about Paul being in prison. You assume, you know, verse 2, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. I would not have known it if it wasn't given to me. I would not have figured this out. Paul is saying that I had to have God tell me. As I've written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. We're going to get, this isn't about the incarnation, but it is about one of the mysteries, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Dare we say this is supernatural. And what is it? This mystery is that the Gentiles, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. They didn't understand that in the Old Testament. It's there. Isaiah talked about being the light to the Gentiles. Abraham was supposed to be the father of many nations. It's there, but they didn't quite get it. They get it, the mystery is revealed. And so when we look at the mystery that we have, the incarnation, it's a mystery, but it's revealed. I wouldn't be preaching on it if God didn't say it happened, right? And we get enough revelation to understand it in the way God intended us to, but it's not exhaustive. It's not you're not going to get everything in the Bible about the nature of Christ and the nature of the Trinity and all that. But that doesn't mean we don't get some. You know, I, I mentioned some in John. There's, uh, the Synoptic the other Gospels have that too, and we see this show up in the in the narratives of the Nativity too. Think about what happened when Joseph had his dream? An angel comes to him. We think maybe that was Gabriel, I'm not sure. Um, Maybe it was Michael, I don't know. Or Fred the angel, I don't know, it was an angel. Um, And what did he say? You shall call his name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. That's what Jesus means, it's a kind of an Aramisized version of Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. And then Matthew puts it, and this, was, this happened to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said, the virgin will conceive and have a child, and they will call his name Emmanuel. You know, so we, we get that there, God with us. Oh, okay, well, there, that's a little bit. you get starting to get a little bit of idea of who this is. Luke to Mary, he will be, he will be the son of the Most High, which is a term comes out of Daniel. And then what do the magi say they want to do when they talk to Herod? We have come to see the king of the Jews. We have come to worship him. Ugh. If Herod would have been even a decent Jew, he would have been mad at that. But he wasn't a decent Jew. I don't even know if he's a decent guy. But, uh, and what did they do? We had that with the, the kids. They come down and it says they worshipped him and then gave the gifts. You know that that's in there all the it's in the infancy narratives in too. That by itself may be not not be enough to convince people that Jesus is God, but that's not all we have. It just keeps coming and coming. But he comes in the flesh. What a way to do it. You know, sometimes I wonder wouldn't it have been easier would hurt less to just appear around 30 AD and just say you're going to have some time. You're going to go through some trouble, but in the end, it's going to be really good. And glow like you did in the transfiguration, not do the baby thing. There's something about the way this happens that makes it more pointed. And it just happens to be the way God wanted to do it. So this, this is a supreme mystery that, you know, how many beings in the history of the world do we say are truly God and truly man? You know, just one. And not and the Father and the Spirit we don't say that about. This is quite unique. So really it confronts us because, you know, Jesus' death, we can get our minds around that. We've seen people die. The atonement, we can understand that from the Old Testament. Even the sacrifices were to help with sin if you're truly repentant. His resurrection, very supernatural, but we can get our mind around that too, I think. But the Christmas message of the incarnation makes it That's hard. It's How does that? And this is tough for people, people who come to know Jesus. I remember hearing a story about a young man in World War II who was dying on the the field after being shot. And the chaplains would come and, you know, talk to them and try to comfort them as they're, you know, dying in the war. And this young man, 18-year-old, looks at the chaplain and says, tell me, is Jesus like God? You know, and and the chaplain thought about that. It's like, what a you know this this was a Christian man. And he, but why is he even questioning that? Have we not taught that well enough? And he said, Oh, certainly yes. And you will see him soon. You know that was you know that's what chaplains do. But the, but that's the thing. We got to, We have to have this in our vocabulary. Um, you know, one of the little uh, colloquial sayings that I'll hear, and I used to do it, maybe I do it still, I catch myself. Don't say Jesus and God, <laughs> if you can get... I mean, it's, those terms are actually in the Bible, but it just confuses people. Um, you know, maybe you'd say Jesus and the Father, which most of the time that's what they're talking about there. So the incarnate, but it's very important. How important is this? Well, in John, in 2 John, uh, verse 7, it says, I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world, They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. And that's done in two different ways. The the, the way that was fairly common back then is it just looked like a real body. He didn't really die. He didn't really walk. And of course he could walk on water because he wasn't really physical. That doesn't fit the text, but that was out there. The other one is to say, this guy's not God. That one's more prevalent today. You see that all over the place. And what does... John calls it deception. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. You know, we get when we hear antichrist, we think of Revelation and all this stuff, which, just not to blow your bubble, but the word antichrist isn't even in the book of Revelation. But, but, the, but what does antichrist mean? Against Christ. If you don't believe that the second person of the Trinity became flesh and, and walked among us and did these things and died, then you're against him. That's essentially all it's saying. You're not following what he taught. So he, he somehow takes on humanity without the laws of deity. So Jesus of Nazareth was a truly divine and, and truly human being, very, very unique. And I realize it's, we're not going to exhaust this, but let's at least see what it says. That's what I, I, It's a mystery, you know. I tried that in differential equations my sophomore year in college hadn't studied the stuff enough, and the guy come up on the board and do this, and I said, it's a mystery, and he said, it shouldn't be to you. You can say that, can, but again, it's in there. There's a lot of stuff. Why do, we, why do we say that Jesus is God? Because he imposes that on us by the way he talked. The text tells us that by the way it reveals it. There's no other good way to really take all the texts and make sense out of them. That's why we do it. So here's the two mysteries. The plurality of persons within the unity of God. That's a big sentence, isn't it? That's why they pay me the big bucks, you know, you get these big words. More than one person by, in this being. The doctrine of the Trinity. And remember, this is a Greg Cochalism, who stand to reason. I encourage you to get their podcast, get their stuff. Really good way of looking at a lot of things. But, uh, but I like the way he wrote a little... T- tract that says, the Trinity, a solution, not a problem. I love that. You can get it on their website. It's a wonderful little, it's not that long. The Trinity is a solution. Solution to what? Well, solution to a lot of things, but solution, that doctrine is a solution to take all the texts that talk about God and put them in together that it makes cohesive sense. It's a solution. Who is Jesus talking to in Gethsemane? Well, the Father, because the Father is a different person than he is, even though they're both God. Who does Jesus saying, I'm going to send this other comforter to you? Well, that's the Spirit. Same attributes, same nature. So you, you probably didn't know this. Well, you probably did. You are one person and one nature, right? You're human and you're you. That's it. Somehow this being, supernatural, always existed, is one being but three persons, three centers of consciousness, however you want to put it. And why would we believe such a goofy thing? Because the text imposes it on us. And that is mysterious. I don't have you know, it does it all to all of us, right? But it doesn't mean we don't have enough. It doesn't mean we don't have enough. And Christmas kind of pushes that, um, and then the other one is the union of the Godhead and manhood somehow <laughs> in the person of Jesus, the doctrine of the incarnation. It is how, and we study this, we do this in our own church. How can Jesus be fully human and be also truly God? It's not easy, but we, we can do it. And throughout history, it makes sense. And here's just one to think about a little bit, not for very long, maybe, but does it make sense for us to believe? that if we really studied God enough, we completely understand him perfectly. I mean, think about the person around you right now. Do you understand them perfectly? Think about yourself. Sometimes I'm like, why did I do that? Sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing. You know, when you hit your shin for the 14th time on the same counter that's been there that many times, What is wrong with me? You know, say, or you think things. Even ourselves, we don't completely understand. Why are we going to understand God completely? Well, we can understand him enough. You can understand other people enough with those relationships. And all this comes together, the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Incarnation, because of Christmas. Coming back to this, God becomes a man. The divine son becomes a Jew, a Palestinian first century Jew. Now, I was thinking if I was the son of God, which I'm not, um, and he didn't, wouldn't ask my opinion, I won't think I'd come to first century. Um, I've read a lot about first century Palestine because you want to know the context when you're looking uh, at the Gospels and the letters and all those. But uh, th- there's one word that always grabs me if I was going to go anywhere in, in history. That probably wouldn't be the place I'd want to be, just all things being equal. And the word is Plumbing. Their plumbing was a lot worse than ours. I know it's not fun when you have a freezing, if if it happened to you. I know maybe some of you. uh, uh, This isn't rhetorical. How many people actually had frozen pipes this week? Nobody? Okay, well, there we go. We had to have some. Another one over there. Well, we can raise our hand because we didn't have any water in the kitchen for a couple of days. uh, Put enough heat on it and it finally came. You know, The plumbing here is pretty good, but back then it was a little different. You know, it's it's a different time period, and you're under Roman occupation, and it's like, but that's when he comes. He comes at the right time. He becomes a Jew, and that makes a difference. It doesn't mean you have to be a Jew to be saved. It doesn't mean you have to be a man to be saved. It doesn't mean you have to be a first-century person to be saved. Those are unique characteristics of the flesh that he took on, and we need to know that, but that doesn't mean he's not for all people. The angel said that, right? unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He has come for all people. And so that's what we teach. So Yahweh appears on earth as a helpless human baby. That one caught people by surprise. Now we know it because we have Christmas all the time. But if you want to follow along in in Luke 2, and we're not going to hit every verse here. I'm just going to use it as kind of a Uh, Way to go. This is, if you remember what happens, you know, we got the, you you probably remember, and then you can watch the Nativity movie and it'll show you all this if you haven't done that yet. Um, They do a pretty good job, I think, of a lot of things. But uh, they end up in, in Bethlehem because of the census and being taxed. And then, so they're in some house with relatives. They get him circumcised on the eighth day. But then, after 40 days, 33 days later, they go and they dedicate the first child. That's what they're doing here. And they go to the temple. And it says there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Uh, he was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. This is a good guy, Simeon. Um, and this is really cool. Supernatural, I would think. Um, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Well, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? What would you do if you were him? Where's he at? He's at the temple. Um, I mean, you'd have to think if the Messiah was coming, he'd show up there eventually. Um, And we have that in Old Testament. The Messiah, the, the Lord will come to his temple. Uh, Zachariah. So we have that. So he, was, he's, he knew his scriptures and he was there. But think about that. I can't think of an example right now, maybe you can, about if, if God came to you and said, this particular event, which is really important, is going to happen before you die. Well, at least one thing you wouldn't know you're going to die until it happened, which is kind of cool. But what, what would be the th- how would, what would be your emotions? What would you anticipation maybe? Would you be looking for the Messiah under every corner? I would, I think. It's like, is that him? It's like, you know. But he didn't We don't have any information that he knew what this was going to be like. He just goes to the temple thinking maybe, and maybe the Spirit told him to go to the temple. He comes in the Spirit to the temple. Well, actually, no maybe there. <laughs> and when the, his, the parents brought the child Jesus to him, according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said... Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. This is the old, uh, the term, it comes in Latin, nung deminis" it means I've done it, I can die. You know, it's just kind of, it's a really neat uh, way of fucking out. He knows that he's seen this. And, and we don't know from this text, but it's possible that he was the priest. Because he, he may be the one doing the, doing the, the blessing. Um, but this is what I wonder When he's, and I'm going to go with this, I think it's certainly probable, maybe very probable. I wonder if he was looking for a baby. Maybe he was looking for a man. And he goes in there every day looking for a guy that looks like, hey, he looks like a Messiah. Or maybe the Messiah will come in and say, hey, I'm the Messiah. And make it really easy. But I get this idea that maybe, you know, the Holy Spirit he comes up, and this baby, he's like, okay, baby, it's kind of... And then it hits him. I wonder if that's what it was like. And he's like, a baby. <laughs> we had this in the production a little bit. The shepherd uh, is has that little line. It's like, a baby. A baby? You know, it, 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 the idea is that I don't know if you would have got the baby part out. You'd have to take Isaiah 7, literally... And even if a son comes, it doesn't mean he's going to... Obviously, if he comes as a man into the temple as the Messiah, he was born at one time. But I think maybe something happens there with Simeon because of the words he uses. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And this is the mystery that we just read in Ephesians 3. He gets, because he gets it from Isaiah, a light a revelation to the Gentiles, which I don't know if you, if you didn't know that there are Jews, and if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile so if you take all the people in the world, you got two types and this Jews and Gentiles that's it so if he's for Gentiles and Jews, that's everybody but he sees that and I don't know how much he he knew, but I'm wondering if he not only all in maybe one instance he saw that this baby was not only the Messiah and showing himself as a baby, but that he was God. There's a Savior. Was, I, I don't know completely. But, and and you are reading between the lines a little bit. Maybe they need to come out with another movie and have this Simeon backstory. You know? We could do that. That would be kind of a neat movie to watch. Uh, but verse 33 is interesting. and It kind of comes back to our Mary, did you know? And his father and his mother marvelled at what was said about him. I kind of marvel at that verse, because we get this idea. Because I've got, you've got, Christmas, I got a couple Christmas cards, and there's this little yellow thing on over the head of of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. What do they call that thing? A halo. Um, they think they glowed. Do you think the shepherds came and said, well that's that's gotta be it, because those dudes have that yellow thing on their head. You know, that's an artist rendition thing of showing that this is that they were chosen by God. And for Jesus it probably shows deity. But they they, you know, Mary had the Gabriel incident. Joseph had the dreams. And then they come 40 days after Jesus is born and they marvel at the fact that this guy is so fired up. <laughs> I marveled that they marveled. You know. You know, and it, it's it's interesting, uh, because Simeon blesses them and they do seem a little bit how does he know? Maybe that's it. They didn't know. And at that point were they trying to hide him? I, I don't know. I mean it we don't know for sure. This is a, I, I might have mentioned this before, but I think it's a a good movie to watch if if, if you know, if you know about the gospels well, uh I think it's just called the Young Messiah. It's on Netflix, um, and that's not a—I don't get any kickback from them, um, but the, uh, uh, nor from the Nativity movie either. But but it, it's it's about Jesus when he's when he's—they're getting ready to leave Egypt and go back. to, And it gives a lot. It deals with that deep a little bit, which is kind of cool, I think. So, um, and it deals a lot with Joseph and Mary trying to figure out who he is. Uh, another book you can read, it's its now back on Amazon. It's, it was out of print for a while. I picked this up in Des Moines, oh, 35 years ago, I think. It's called Jesus, an Interview Across Time. It's its fiction, but it's really well done. And he probes that question a lot, um, if you uh, want to uh, get those. Uh, but again, Simeon blesses them, and then he gives this, Behold, the child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. You're either for him or against him. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul. He says that to Mary. I mean, that would have to be, and you can think back to the crucifixion, who's there? You know, yeah, that's, it's a, so the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. He's going to touch the very souls of people. So we get this idea, for us it's easy, the baby in the manger, we've celebrated it probably your whole life, but thinking about what really is happening, everything changes at Christmas time when the Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. They've been waiting for this for millennia. And now our wait is for Him to come back another time, right? But just to make sure you know, not as a baby. He's going to come back the same way He left. So I think we'll know it. But the first time He comes is a baby, and there's no illusion or deception of the babyhood. Nobody's embarrassed by that. to say, well, we got a Messiah, but he's, you know, he just goes, wah, you know. Um, yeah, and to think about this, maybe ponder this if you can't sleep tonight. Uh, how much did God the Son know when he was a baby? It's hmm, a good question. I don't have the answer. That's kind of a mystery <laughs> that hasn't been revealed yet. J. A. Packer, another good book, Knowing God. The incarnation is in itself an unfathomable mystery, but it makes sense of everything else that the New Testament contains. If you believe that Jesus, as a baby or a man, is truly God and truly man, all the other change falls into the meter and everything works. That's why we believe this. So this Christmas, you know, yes, I always am trying to get you to think deeper. I think it's good. I think God gave his minds to do this. And feel deeper because you think deeper. So as the worship team comes up, you think about this this particular quote. Everything else makes sense if we get Jesus right. If you get Jesus wrong, the rest of it doesn't matter. And if you keep him as a baby and don't remember really what he came for. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he has become poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. And what more poverty than a baby born in a manger in a little wrong side of the tracks town called Bethlehem. And we'll finish with this. The Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity. Hope for pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, and it's all because of the baby that we celebrate today. Let's pray. Father, we wonder about the mystery revealed to us in many ways that Jesus is not just a baby, but the Son, equal with you in every attribute of who he is and who his nature is. As we go into our Christmas celebrations and uh, have all the wonderful blessings that you've given us with family and friends may we remember the miracle of the baby and who he really is and dive into it in your word and ponder it the glory of becoming a baby may we always remember that Would You give us what we need giving us grace through him